I am so glad to be here to get to worship with you all this morning. Um, Amy and I were in Columbus this past week, uh, and on a Wednesday night, we were hanging out with some friends of ours, and I got a text from Brian asking, hey, I have COVID, would you be able to preach? Which when someone sends you that, you tend to be like, yeah, I probably can. And then he said, I've already asked a couple other people, and they said no. So then you really feel like you have to say yes. Um, but on Wednesday night, we were actually at our friends Jimmy and Michelle's house, um, which when Brian said what he was planning on preaching on this Sunday, meant like, you really got to say yes, because he said he was planning on teaching on deep discipleship, which my friend Jimmy and I experienced together for the first time when we were in high school. When we were in high school, one of our Young Life leaders had asked us, would you want to join our, a small group that I lead? And we both said yes. And then we spent our junior and senior years of high school being discipled by him with some of our other friends. We would meet every single week on Sunday at about 4 o'clock, and we would read and discuss scripture together. We would share some of our joys and struggles and pray for each other. We would also just spend time having fun and enjoying life together. And these two years really set the foundation for our faith and gave us a picture for what deep discipleship looked like. Part of that discipleship included the constant reminder that if our time together could not be boiled down to the basic description of that we were trying to grow in our love of God and our love for others, then we were simply wasting our time. So we're going to spend some time this morning exploring deep discipleship. And the thing that I want to make sure that we take away this morning is this. One of the most valuable uses of our time is personal discipling relationships. Growing as a Christian is not what super Christians do. It is what real Christians do. And growth shows life. Before we open up God's word, let's spend some time in prayer. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that we get to gather together. We get to worship you together and we get to open up your word together. I ask that you would continue to reveal yourself to us, that we might continue to experience you in our lives each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to spend our time this morning looking in Mark chapter 12, which is different than what it says in your bulletin. Um, and we're going to be looking at verses 28 through 34. So if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn there. If you have a phone, go ahead and open up your Bible app. Um, but Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34, say this. One of the scribes approached when he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, which command is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one, and there is no one else except him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. 
When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And no one dared to question him any longer. Before we start to look at the answer that Jesus gives, I think we first need to have an idea of just who the man asking this question to Jesus was. Depending on your translation, he's called either a scribe or a teacher of the law, which means that he would have been some kind of a religious leader. But not just any kind. A scribe or a teacher of the law would have been someone who was an expert in teaching and interpreting the law of Moses. And we see these teachers of the law make several appearances throughout the Gospel of Mark. In chapters 2 and 3, we see them opposing Jesus. In Mark 11, we see them plotting for a way to destroy and to kill Jesus. And then in chapter 15, we see them mocking and taunting Jesus as he's being crucified on the cross. So now that we have an idea of who it is asking Jesus this question, let's look at the first part of the answer that Jesus gives. And to do so, Jesus actually gives a response directly from the law of Moses when he says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That is exactly what we see recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where we see Moses give his charge to Israel to keep up their religion once they are in Canaan. In Deuteronomy 6, he shares a truth that God is one, as well as a duty to love God. So I think a question we need to consider is this. What does it mean for us that after being asked which command is the most important, the first words out of the mouth of Jesus is to quote, from a charge that Moses had given the people. Jesus is not sharing something that no one had ever heard of before. In fact, based on this teacher of the law's response to his answer, Jesus probably is not even giving an answer to this question that no one had given before. One thing it means for us is that the simplest way in which we follow the Lord is not too different for us than it was for Moses. We are to love God because he is God. We don't need any other reason for loving the Lord, for he is a perfect God. And we see this perfection described in Exodus chapter 34, which says the Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. We see here that our God is perfect in his gracious love and his pure justice. So he does not need to do anything to deserve or to earn our love, and yet he has certainly done much in my life that's deserving of my own love. The greatest thing he did for us was dying the death that we all deserved on the cross and taking on the punishment for our sins so that we could be in a right relationship with him. And he did that for everyone here in this room this morning. He died so that anyone here could admit that they are a sinner, believe that Jesus died for their sins, and confess that he's their Lord and Savior. But we are not just commanded to love God and figure out for ourselves what that looks like. We are even instructed on what we are to love the Lord with. We're to love God with all of our heart, 
all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. These are the different parts of us that we are to love the Lord with, which one commentator explains like this. The heart speaks to our emotions, the real me on the inside. The soul speaks to the spirit, the self-conscious life. The mind speaks to our intelligence and thought life. And strength speaks to our bodily powers, perhaps even the will. We're to love God with our emotions, our self-conscious, our thoughts, and our will. I don't think that I have any other parts inside of me. So I think loving the Lord with our hearts, souls, minds, and strength simply means that we are to love God with our entire selves. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a pretty daunting and potentially impossible task. How am I supposed to love someone or something with my entire self? I think the best place for us to begin is by looking at the life of Jesus. After all, he's the only human to have lived a life without sin. And what was Jesus' prayer in the garden? Not my will, but yours be done. So if we are to love God with our entire selves, I believe that we need to pray and live out this very same prayer. That God's will would be done, not our own. I think that Paul actually describes this very thing in Galatians chapter 2 when he writes that he... I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. For if we're going to live out the same prayer that Jesus prayed before he laid down his life for us, we too need to lay down our lives. It's just the other way around. Instead of Jesus dying for us, we should die to ourselves for the Lord. This doesn't mean that we need to go out and die the death of a martyr. It means that we should be willing to put aside our own will and our own desires if they do not align with the Lord's will. Loving God with our entire selves means that nothing should come between us and the Lord. Not our jobs, not our families, not our finances. Whenever we have a choice to make, we're options. the options are either choosing between loving God and loving something else, we are to choose the option that aligns with loving God. No matter how difficult that choice may be or the earthly consequences that it may lead to. But this is just the first part of the answer that Jesus gives the teacher of the law. So let's go ahead and see the second part in verse 31 when Jesus says, The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. This too actually is a response that comes directly from the law of Moses. As Jesus is quoting a part of Leviticus chapter 19, and it is this part of Jesus' answer that we might struggle with the most. Loving God, that makes sense. We may not always do it as well as we could, but we can wrap our minds around it because he's God. But loving our neighbors as ourselves that's the one that we try to qualify or find a reason or an excuse not to do. And we're not the first to do that. We actually see it happening in Luke chapter 10 when Jesus shares the parable of the Good Samaritan. In that passage, we see a teacher of the law ask Jesus just who exactly was his neighbor. And he is not too pleased with the answer that Jesus gives him. Because in this parable, we see Jesus teaching that our neighbors are not just those who live near us or look like us or cheer for the same teams as us or even those who believe the same things as us. 
we learn in Luke chapter 10 that there is no one who is not our neighbor. But how can we do this? How can we love everyone as ourselves? After all, we are in complete control of our emotions. We don't even like everyone. I think that this is where a misunderstanding with loving our neighbors as ourselves arises. Because we need to remember that this is a command and therefore it has to do with our actions. While we may not be in complete control of our feelings and emotions, we do control our actions. And this command addresses our actions instead of our feelings because you don't need to like someone in order to love them. While we may think of loving ourselves as the most selfish thing we can do, loving someone else as ourself is probably the most unselfish thing that we can do. Doing so means that we're going to serve someone the way that we want to be served. We're going to sacrifice for their sake the way that we would want someone to sacrifice for our own sake. We're going to love others as greatly as we desire to be loved. And how do we do this? That might be one of the clearest answers we can find in the Bible. By loving others the way that Jesus loves us, sacrificially and unconditionally. However, the teacher of the law in our passage does not just hear Jesus' answer and leave. He actually agrees with him. It appears that this man passed Jesus's, this, that it appears that Jesus passed this man's test and that Jesus is pleased with this man's view of the law. In fact, Jesus tells, tells him that he is not far from the kingdom of God. So how are Jesus and this man that we would expect to be his opponent on the same page? I think we need to remember what worshiping God looked like in the first century. The leaders within Judaism had been split into two different groups. One of these groups was led by the priests at the temple who believed that worshiping God was done at the temple through burnt offerings and sacrifices. And then the other group, the teachers of the, and the teachers of the law would have been a part of a second group. This group worshiped God at local synagogues and through studying the law of Moses. So it makes sense that an expert in the law of Moses and Jesus, who is the word of God, would find common ground in rightly interpreting the law of Moses. That true religion or worship of God was ultimately a matter of the heart. Thus, the most important part of the law is that we love God and others. Most importantly, we need to understand that loving God and loving others are not are not exclusive commands. They happen together because they cannot be separated. It is impossible to love God without loving others. And likewise, it is impossible to truly love others without loving the Lord. Think of what John writes in 1 John chapter 4. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another... God remains in us, and his love is made complete in us. We see Jesus connecting the commands to love the Lord and others in Mark 12, and we see the Apostle John explicitly teaching of this connection. 
Therefore, you cannot love the Lord without loving your neighbor. And John writes that if one does not love, then they do not know God. Do we consider how serious a warning this is? That someone, if someone does not love, then they don't know God? Think back to what Jesus said to the teacher of the law in our passage this morning. Although Jesus is pleased by his understanding of the law, he only tells the man that he's not far from the kingdom of God. He does not say that he's in the kingdom of God, because to be in the kingdom, one needs to do more than approve or agree with Jesus' teaching. They can't just know in their heads what Jesus teaches. To be in the kingdom, one must submit entirely to his authority. They need to take the next step and accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. This is why the teacher of the law is close to, but not in, the kingdom of God. And when it comes to a God whose love is perfectly gracious and his justice is perfectly pure, close just is not good enough. You're either in or you're out. You either have a right relationship with God or you don't. Does the way in which we love God reflect where we think we're going to spend eternity? Does the way in which we love others reflect the way in which we love the Lord? I think those are questions worth asking ourselves on a consistent basis. Because if we are honest with ourselves, sometimes the answer is going to be no. And when the answer is no, that means we're not faithfully and obediently living out the commands that Jesus identified as being greater than every other. And the reason they're the greatest commands is because if they are faithfully and obediently fulfilled, then the entire law was being fulfilled. So Jesus identifies the greatest commands as loving God and loving others. What does that have to do with deep discipleship? It means that it should be the goal of discipleship. Deep discipleship should lead us to growing in how we love God and love others. It should not be trying to learn as much information and fill our heads with knowledge if we're not growing in our love of the Lord and our love of others. But where does it happen? Do we think it only happens at church on a Sunday morning, or it can only happen if a pastor is a part of it? I don't think so. I believe that deep discipleship happens when believers intentionally and faithfully invest in one another's lives to help each other grow in their love for God and their love for others. Deep discipleship just needs a few things. There needs to be consistency. It can't happen every other month with someone that you barely know. You have to have a relationship with one another because you also need to be able to hold each other accountable. You need to be able to say, hey, you're not, you're not loving others the way that you can. You're not loving the Lord the way that you should be. We should be spending time reading scripture together and talking about it and trying to understand and have to grow in our understanding. We should be spending time praying for one another, praying for friends, praying for family, praying for people that we find it very difficult to love. And it can happen anywhere. It doesn't have to happen in a church. It can happen in a coffee shop. It can happen in a basement with six high schoolers hanging out um, with a teacher who just wants them to know what it looks like to walk with the Lord for the rest of their lives. And it is crucial for us to all be a part of it. After all, one of the most valuable uses of our time is personal discipling relationships. Growing as a Christian is not what super Christians do. It is what real Christians do. do. And growth 
shows life. Let's go to our good God in prayer. Father God, you are perfect. You are God. And that alone is deserving of our love, but you did not stop there. You demonstrated your love for us by sending your son to die for our sins so that we might be in relationship with you. Never let us forget that. Never let us stop loving you. But that is not all that you call us to do. May you continue to shape us and grow our ability and our willingness to love those around us. May we love them with the same love that you showed us on the cross. May we live lives spent loving you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.